A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last season, millions tuned into the Betrayal podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning, and now we're sharing an all-new story of betrayal. Justin Rutherford. Doctor, father, family man. It was the perfect cover to hide behind. Detective Weaver said, I'm sure you know why we're here. I was like, what in the world is going on? Listen to Betrayal starting on May 23rd on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at first first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is on an adventure today. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, I had not heard of today's episode until you hipped me to it a number of, gosh, it must have been a number of years ago now, maybe months? Sure. Yeah, I'm not, exa- <laughs> I cannot recall when we had. The brief conversation about it, but yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, off off air, Matt and I are, are pretty, uh, especially back in the days when everybody was going into offices, we have a lot of ongoing conversations about things we think are interesting and what we're trying to research in the background so that we can make a full episode of stuff. So for every, every episode of stuff they don't want you to know that you hear on the air, there are probably... 10 to 15 at any given time that we're also evaluating, which is why we greatly appreciate recommendations from you, our fellow conspiracy realists. And usually when I bring something up to Ben, it's, it's, this is how it goes, everybody. Ben, oh my gosh, there's this place called, and then he'll say, uh, you mean the, the quiet zone, the, the silent zone in Mexico? And you go, okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is weird. Yeah, well, Matt, you and I uh, got you and I created stuff that I want you to know all these years ago because we grew up fascinated with things that were not really in mainstream news coverage. You know, we're children of the X Files and the Twilight Zone and Time Life's Mystery of the Unknown books, things like that. And so, Don't forget our limits. Yes, yes. How could we? It would be egregious. Uh, so. Like many folks who listen to the show for the first time, uh, we came in pretty familiar with stories of things like Bigfoot, allegations of the paranormal, uh, haunted houses. And of course, this uh, we I think we're all pretty well aware of uh, what I would deem the pantheon of weird stuff in the U.S., uh, we're talking about stuff like Roswell, the JFK assassination, and of course, the Bermuda Triangle. Everybody knows the legend of the Bermuda Triangle, uh, and we've 
we've covered it a couple times, a few different ways on our show. I think primarily in YouTube. Is that correct, Matt? Yes. I don't know that we've covered the Bermuda Triangle fully in audio, but this specific topic actually reminds me a little bit more of a place in the United States on the northeastern shore there known as the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts, if only because we're we're talking about land in, in many of the in much of the story, we're talking about the actual landmass, not in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is something that's funny to me as well, man, because I, I was doing research for our episode today and it hit me. There are so many things that are named, you know, insert here, triangle. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to be very mysterious, possibly dangerous parts of the world. And I, I had some note. You know how you're kind of a different person when you're being creative at 3 a.m. versus when you're working during the light of day. I had some weird cryptic note where I just wrote, is triangle the most evil shape? Is it the most sinister shape? How come there's never like, you know, how come there's not, um, you know, the Poughkeepsie dodecahedron or something like that? It's always the something triangle, the devil's triangle, the dragon's triangle, the Bridgewater triangle. This is my hypothesis. There are relatively few strange occurrences relatively when it comes to all the various things that could occur. I think because there's so few things, you end up with one like starting point area. You end up with a second occurrence. And then when that third one occurs, wherever that third one is, you, you've created a triangle. And if you wanted to go further, I mean, you're just complicating things when you're trying to put it on a map, when you want to right. write about it. Um, Although I could imagine a square or rectangle. I assume a rectangle would be the most common. Or would that be, what is that called? A rhombus? A rhombus. (laughs) The devil's rhombus. The devil's rhombus. I like it. For some reason, it makes me think uh, the devil's rhombus sounds like a a, a big band instrumental. from Yeah. (laughs) From the 70s or something? I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe a quartet plane. That would make sense. A rhombus is just a parallelogram, really. But I love what you're pointing out, Matt, because it makes me think of something you and I talked about several times in the past in our YouTube heyday, which was wanting to make a list of things. And, and then we quickly would say, well, what's the... What's the smallest number of items that still qualify as a list? That answer is three. That's right. <laughs> that answer is three. And maybe that's what, uh, maybe that logic is echoed some way in the creation of myths about these mysterious places. Uh, according to the stories, the quick and dirty explanation of the Bermuda Triangle is that there's this swath of ocean that's loosely bound by Miami or bounded by Miami, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. And it's home to everything from time warps to uh, magnetic anomalies and, of course, accusations of extraterrestrials or extra dimensionals. Uh, there's also no shortage of reported disappearances in this area. Uh, the where you get to the real meat of the debate is when you look through the proposed explanations for these uh, aeronautical and maritime disasters. And we've talked about this triangle in the past. You're right. It's weird that we haven't done a full audio episode on this. Maybe we'll do that in the future. Today, we're diving into something a little different because we know that uh, most of us on the show today, you listening and the three of us recording, uh, we've all heard most of the stuff about the Bermuda Triangle, and we wanted to bring you something that you may not have heard of because, you see, some people are convinced that Mexico has a Bermuda Triangle all its own, something called the Mapimi Silent Zone, also known as Mexico's Zone of Silence. Here are the facts. So we'll we'll call it a lot of things. I'm probably going to end up saying this silent zone many times in this episode, but the Mpimi silent zone, it's an area of desert, basically, if you look at it and you can go and look at it right now, M-A-P-I-M-I silent zone. Or uh, if you, if you head on over to Google maps or Google earth <coughs> keyhole, you can find it. Just <laughs> look for M-A-P-I-M-I biosphere reserve, and you can check it out in all its glory. Turn on the, uh, the satellite imagery there, and you can see what we're talking about. 
It is located near the uh, Bolson de Mapimi in Durango, Mexico. And this is a site of, it's really a seabed. This whole area is a huge seabed. And it used to be literally underwater in this thing called the Tethys Ocean. And this ocean existed between Gondwana and Laurasia during the Mesozoic era. And that is a long, 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 long time ago. There wasn't, you know, the Tethys Ocean isn't this new ocean you've never heard about that's, you know, on planet Earth right now. This existed way back when. Uh, but something that's really cool in this area is that because it was a seabed and it had all this water, it had creatures living in it, there are all kinds of fossils that can be found across this reserve. Yeah. When when we're talking about the Mesozoic era, we're talking about a planet that looked very different. Uh, the mm -hmm. uh, Gondwana and Laurasia are, in a very real way, the ancestors of uh, continents that we see in the modern day. And there, there are a lot of salt deposits there, too, because it used to be under the ocean. Uh, this place has a lot of history, but it's not a lot of human history. Uh, it's still a pretty rural area. Uh, and if you have heard about it, you have if you've heard about it and you don't live around the area, then it's almost certainly because you have a personal interest in stories of the unexplained. So for a little more than the past 50 years or so since the 1970s, people across continental North and South America have spun some really bizarre tales about the silent zone, or the zone. Uh, you'll, you'll hear reports on various forums and then sometimes on radio shows that radio and television signals become scrambled in this area, that if you have a compass, it will refuse to function or that you will, th this is that, an By the way, one. just before yeah. you move on to the next thing, yeah. Ben, yeah, yeah. that definitely reminds me, and I'm sure you listening too, of Bermuda Triangle. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, and uh, there, there are a couple of extra add-ons that you get if you pick, <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying like they're on a menu, but if you- You got extra fixins. Extra fixins. they do. They have extra fixins in the Mapimi Silent Zone. Uh, there's a rumor that you will see extraordinarily large people who suddenly vanish or disappear into thin air when they're spotted. But the most titillating tale about this zone involves an electronic malfunction. So the Bermuda Triangle has this rep for being a place where a lot of uh, watercraft and aircraft disappear or crash or they their instruments stop working, right? Similar to the Mapimi Silent Zone, but they only have one famous case of uh, an electronic disaster, and that's a missile that was launched from the U.S. and somehow completely missed its landing spot, and it ended up about 400 miles or 644 kilometers south of its intended target. We'll talk about that a little more because this is a this is a key piece of the story and the legend. And we uh, even have yeah. we even have a a report in a newspaper from from that time about this occurring that we found, yes. which is really fun. <laughs> yes, yes. And it can be relatively rare to find those kind of primary sources for stories like this. Oh, like that time we did the, the Dragon's Triangle in the Pacific. You know, it was, it was tough to find something substantial there. But with this, like, let's say you're a person who is a dyed-in-the-wool true believer in uh, the concept of something extraordinary happening at the Bermuda Triangle. Well, if you have that perspective, when you look at the Mexican zone of silence, you'll see another similarity that might convince you the rumors about this zone are true, and it's this. The zone is located, like the Bermuda Triangle, between the 26th and 28th parallels. So if you're pulling a Charlie Day, you know, conspiracy board thing or like a Matt and Ben conspiracy board thing, that's definitely something you draw, you, you connect with red string, right? And then the next thing you know, you're talking ley lines to someone. That's, that's it. <laughs> That's where we're going, only, right? Yeah, because the only reason in my mind that I'm interested in the latitude of wherever we are is because a ley line might be there, man. Come on. <laughs> and they don't always follow 
latitude, sometimes they go all kinds of different ways, zigzagging around. Ley lines are awesome. They're probably, you know, at least to my knowledge, not real, but they're really cool to look into. It's an, uh, you know what it is? I, I think it's an awesome idea. It's an awesome theory. And I love seeing ley lines used in works of fiction. Um, as far as the concept of ley lines now, to be absolutely fair, we have to say there are hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people who believe in some version of this, uh, this interconnected network of lines spanning Earth. And they, um, and along these lines, uh, there's the transmission of this vaguely defined Earth energy, right? So science rejects this, but a lot of people will swear by it. And if you believe in ley lines, uh, then you would maybe think of that as one of the possible explanations for the zone of silence. Remember, as we say on the show all the time, we can't prove everything yet. It's also very hard to disprove certain things <laughs> um, because yeah, the, but ley lines fascinating. We, we should at least keep that in mind when we're talking about this today. Totally. And you know what? We should also, we should also just do an episode on ley lines. Yes. hundred percent. Okay. I'm going to write, let's that go down. find some. Yeah, let's, let's do it. I think we could get on the road now. Come on. I think so. I think so. And it'd be a fun, it'd be a fun uh, road trip adventure. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let us know if there are any ley lines near Nashville. Mm, just uh, mm -hmm. just putting that out there. Just let us know. Uh, or, or, you know, actually, this is a little bit of a spoiler. This will come out, uh, I think, in time. But write specifically about a place that you would like to us to visit uh, on the international sphere. We don't have to be restricted mm. uh, to the U.S. And I... Uh, I might be, I might be lighting out for the territories, uh, in a few months temporarily for some stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would have, I will, I think have the capacity to travel it depends. Uh, just let us know. We'll start a list. We'll start a list of creepy places across the world that you want us to visit and we'll do our best to get to a few of them in the future. Matt, is it okay then volunteering us for this? I won't get into your personal life, Ben. But okay. You can essentially go wherever you want, whenever you want. Okay. Well, I'm kind of stuck here. I got a crazy dog that eats things if I leave. So, <laughs> well, I can't go to the stands. You know that, right? Like, oh, I, I could, know I could go and they'd let me in, but getting out is a whole other bag of badgers. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's not what this episode is about. Uh, this episode is about this, uh, the legend of this immensely creepy place, or at least that's what people want you to think it is. And we have to start out by saying, look, the idea of a part of the world where radio signals, TV signals just don't work is a real thing. These places are proven to exist. Uh, I've been to one of those. We've talked about it in the past in the show, the U.S. National Radio Quiet Zone. But in that case, the disturbances in communication there are all the consequences of human design. Uncle Sam actively clamps down on modes of communication to ensure that it gets top performance from this enormous radio telescope they built. And that's, I mean, that makes sense. It's still creepy and X-Filesy, but we, we know who was doing it and we know their official reason for why they're doing that. But the silent zone appears to be different. Certainly. And, and here's the deal. Before the, the 1970s that we mentioned earlier, when all of these rumors started to occur, this area was not seen as anything spooky. It was the desert area, kind of in the middle of Mexico there. It gained its reputation in the 70s. So really what this episode is about is how did that reputation begin? What kinds of sightings are alleged to have occurred there? And uh, like, what's going on right now? What is it? what's going on in the zone of silence or this reserve? Really, it's a nature reserve. So I, I don't know, Ben, what are, you, are you ready for it? Yes, absolutely. You know, the funny thing about this, I love that you point this out, Matt, some of our fellow conspiracy realists listening today 
were alive before this zone gained its dubious, infamous reputation. So what happened? Why do so many people around the world believe Mexico has a Bermuda Triangle all its own? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Just like with the Bermuda Triangle, some strange stuff really has happened in this desert. It's just maybe not as many strange things as legends would have us believe, and maybe not the 
maybe not the type of strangeness that uh, rumors would have you believe. I, I think we should go back to the story of the rocket crash, Matt, because it really happened. And not only did it really happen, it was uh, it was worse than it might sound at first. It's like it, it's not like accidentally uh, popping a firework into your neighbor's backyard. No, no, we're talking about a, a warhead attached to a giant propellant machine known as a rocket. Um, yeah, it, it was really bad. So this is 1970, the year exactly 1970. There's a report that we'll refer to in here that was in the Toledo Blade that was published on August 4th of that year. Uh, it is titled Mexicans Find Errant Rocket. Uh, we can, we'll discuss that further, but let's give you the details here. It's kind of weird. It's in July. It's early July, somewhere between the 2nd of July and the 11th of July. There was a test rocket. It was an Athena, uh, V one twenty three D or one, two, three D. It was launched from the green river launch complex out there in Utah. It was supposed to be heading from its launch destination out to the White Sands Missile Range. That's out in New Mexico. Makes sense. You're testing a missile with a warhead in a place that does that. Um, but for some reason, and again, it is unknown, or at least the reporting that we have found doesn't state exactly why. And the government and the people testing it maybe didn't want anyone to know why. It ended up crashing somewhere between 180 and 200 miles south of the Mexican border. Like we said, around 400 miles from its intended destination. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? And we have an unexpected cameo in this story. A guy who's somewhat like uh, the Darth Vader or the Senator Palpatine of geopolitics. Who Real politics, at least. Yeah, who could it be? Uh, can we get a scary sound cue, Paul? That's right. It's Henry Kissinger, he, who is still alive. Uh, yes. He was the <laughs> national security advisor at the time. And he sent this pretty short, little innocuous memo to the president uh, where they vaguely listed the cause of the malfunction as, quote, abnormal reentry into the atmosphere. Basically, they said, something went wrong. We're not sure what. This memo is pretty short and it has a lot of no biggie energy like <laughs> we're letting you know what happened don't worry mr president uh also they noted the mexican government was willing to grant clearance and assist in any search efforts but the problem with this memo is that it is like emily dickinson it's telling the truth but it's telling it slant the truth is not as cut and dried as the memo made it seem this cleanup effort was long and was going to be expensive, and it included things like the construction of a road and rail through the desert to excavate hundreds of tons of soil from that impact site. And that's because this was not an ordinary test rocket. This, this rocket was dirty in, in a very dangerous way. Yeah, it had this cobalt junk in there. Uh, but before we get into that, Ben, can... Can I just read just one part word for word here from that memo? Oh, please Just so everybody do, yes. understands what you're talking about. It says, Since the missile made an abnormal re-entry into the atmosphere, it is believed that less than 100 pounds of debris actually impacted the ground. The precise location of impact has not been determined, but the general area is known to be sparsely populated. <laughs> Sorry. He's no, really I love there. this. I'm clapping. I'm, <laughs> I'm in awe. I feel like I'm in an actor's studio. Uh, also, also, I did not know that Kissinger wrote so many memos while he was on the toilet. Oh, God. <laughs> He's a multitasker, isn't he? I'm sorry. That was no, so that was, gross. That was Maybe I should uh, re retract and redact all of that, just like the previous couple of lines from where I stated there. Um, oh, yeah. The memo is partially redacted for sure. Uh, but I think at this point we can we can guess that what they're what they're redacting here are some specific details about their overall uh, program. Mm -hmm. And 
they mention they mention the missile, but what, what's probably redacted here is what that missile was carrying and what it was supposed to be testing for. It is important that it's a the debris impacted the ground, right? So the missile exploded. At least according to this memo, it's thought that the missile exploded maybe before hitting the ground. So it was right. a debris field rather than an impact site. Right. Yeah. This wasn't a case of some ginormous cylinder just sort of hitting the ground and going thump, thump. Uh, yeah, you're right. It was a rain of debris. And this is especially dangerous because of that Cobalt 57. The Athena test rocket was not your garden variety test rocket, or at least not what the U.S. public would have would have thought of when they thought of a test rocket. It had these two vials of this isotope, Cobalt-57, and they weren't conducting just pure research studies with that. There was no question of like, let's see what happens to Cobalt when you put it in and out of the atmosphere. No, instead, Cobalt-57 was intentionally included with these kinds of missiles because it could enhance radioactive fallout. It could contaminate large areas of land. The street name for this kind of weapon is a salted bomb, which already sounds kind of creepy because, you know, it's it's clearly a biblical reference. So the earth was salt. Well, yeah. I mean, this sounds like the worst possible idea. Hey, guys, <laughs> uh, we have a nuclear weapon. What we're going to do is devise a way to enhance the radioactive fallout. Wow. This is very wow. Illumination Global Unlimited. Like, <laughs> are you concerned your nuclear weaponry is not destructive enough? That's what it says on the side of the box. Enhances all nuclear fallout. <laughs> Enhance your nuclear fallout with Cobalt 57. Yeah, we work so hard on this bomb. The last thing we want is people and animals being able to return to the land at some point. I mean, geez, this was a whole weekend for us. Uh, that's really messed up, guys. It It is, and maybe we're being a little, maybe I'm being a little unfair, because from all the available evidence we can find, and we are we are getting to the silent zone. This is very mm -hmm. important for this story. From all the evidence we can find, this was a genuine mistake. This was not some nefarious, fake whoopsie on the part of Uncle Sam. But it was part of a larger problem, which was that malfunctions plagued this rocket program at the time and led to it eventually uh, being closed for a while. So that's the Athena. Yeah, the that's the Athena. Yeah. So there you have it. We've got we've got a story that normally would have stopped there. The takeaway is accidents happen. Everyone be cool. Follow Kissinger's lead. You know what I mean? And also because this is such a rural area. Very few people actually saw the crash. Hardly anyone saw it. But those who did see it did not receive an official explanation for a while. And without any kind of statement from the Mexican government or the U.S. government, they came to their own conclusions. And these varied widely. Um, we've got three examples. Uh, the third one is probably my favorite. Well, yes, the first one here is most certainly biblical. I remember reading stories about this happening Yep, when, when I was studying the Bible in school, a few shepherds that happened to be in the hills out in that area perhaps thought this was an angelic presence that had made its way down from the heavens and it had fallen, or perhaps a demonic presence, as in a fallen angel, right? Who, who knows what was going through uh, the shepherds' minds, but there was definitely a flash of light that occurred that these shepherds saw. And then they apply their own beliefs to it. Yeah, yeah. And then people in nearby towns that would have visibility of this and happen to be looking in the right direction saw a flash of light and they said, okay, maybe it's a, a very bright falling star or maybe it's a meteorite. But my, my favorite example is there's this one rancher in the area who was furious. He didn't care whether it was an angel or a meteorite he had no idea it was a missile, but he wouldn't have cared about that either. He was pissed, and he was trying to figure out who he was supposed to be uh, ticked off at because the crash panicked all his cattle. They broke out of their corrals. They were running wild, and he was like, someone must answer for this disturbance. <laughs> and so when the government eventually came looking for its missile, the U.S. government, we mean, they accidentally threw more and more gas on the fire of speculation because, picture this, 
you're a resident of this area. You live, you live near this area and you know something is up because you're seeing a lot of like soldiers and military personnel doing stuff, but no one's telling you what's going on. Speculation is going to run wild. They're trying to keep this operation secret, but it's simply impossible to keep a recovery operation of that scale secret in this sort of environment. And Nobody, like they were so focused on making this operation secret that they didn't ask the locals what they saw. They didn't ask where they thought something might have landed. So if you're in Mexico at this time, it's like a real life men in black, but they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not interviewing you. They don't want to mess with you. Nobody's talking to the rancher. He's just getting more and more upset and furious. Like he's reaching, um, yeah, he's reaching like Bill Burr levels in my head of, of, of outrage. And instead what they did was they hired people from a place called Gomez Palacio to quietly search the area, the Bolson, for the missing missile while U.S. planes flew overhead to look at, to, you know, look for it that way. And then that, that compounds the paranoia and the problem because, you know, you're an average resident here. You've probably never seen this many planes flying over uh, your part of the world for this long, right? So it took them three weeks to find the wreckage. Uh, This thing was mostly, what, what was left of it was buried nose first in a sand dune. The fact that it took three weeks can give you a sense of how rural this area is. Uh, they formed a local security force to protect the missile once they found the crash site, to keep away vandals, sightseers, possibly looters. And the person who was running this security force was a local town resident. His name was Gonzalez. And if you go there now, you'll see that there's a little marker commemorating him at the site. There's a small hill in the reserve that overlooks the zone of silence or where the zone of silence was at the time they erected that monument. See, that's a spoiler. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. Ben, just want to jump in here really quickly. Talk about this Toledo, uh, Toledo blade article from August 4th, 1970. Mm -hmm. It's interesting as we're talking to you about this, because the reporting that we've found online that exists right now, contemporary stuff from the two thousands, uh, some of it from the 1990s, it does give you a slightly different story. This this article from 1970 also is a little, I don't know if it's off, if it's more accurate, we honestly can't tell right now. Because it states that, first of all, the United States admitted that this happened early on, and that they contacted Mexico and the officials there in the government to get them to assist. So, like, they're saying they're very upfront about it, and they're also saying that the United States admitted immediately that there were, I believe it says, minute quantities of radioactive cobalt involved. <laughs> but uh, but honestly, I, you know, I couldn't tell you just basing it on the other sourcing that I found, because this is an outlier, I would say for sure. Well, yeah, here's what happened. They told the truth to uh, they told the truth to the U.S. public, U.S. reporters. They told the truth to the Mexican government, but they didn't tell the truth to the people who lived there. Got that's, it. Okay, that's where I think they made a misstep. And unless somebody in this area had a subscription to uh, newspapers from Toledo, which is not impossible, I I don't know. That's just a hell of a ride for the paper boy. Agreed. But you're right. You're right. There were there were um, what are called information asymmetries there. In short, there's a quiet invasion that occurs. The U.S. government ends up building an airstrip near the missile's crash site, and they set up a camp. They build a special extension from this railroad to this sand dune. They dig out the missile. They dig out the dune. They put everything into bags. They take all the soil they think might be contaminated, and they load it into the train. And onto these planes, they take it away, and then they ghost. They ghost the town, and they take the railroad with them. They leave the airstrip, though. Uh, and this this airstrip and this the remnants of this dune 
are the basis of what will become later known as the zone of silence. So far, it's understandable if you're thinking, hey guys, you're telling us, you said you were going to talk about the zone of silence, but you've, you've just spent like 20 minutes telling us the ins and outs of this weird missile crash where it sounds like there wasn't anybody conspiring. That is that is mostly true. There wasn't a huge cover-up or there wasn't something that lasted very long, but there is another conspiracy. It is a conspiracy directly related to the reputation of the zone of silence today. Matt, I say we take a break for a word from our sponsors and return to uh, solve the mystery of the zone of silence. We're actually going to solve this one, folks. Fully? Well, A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we had a bit of a cliffhanger there. Hope everybody had a good break. There is another conspiracy that began. And this conspiracy is much more important than the events uh, leading to him following that missile crash. So far, we've got a wayward missile. We've got some dangerous Cobalt 57. We've got an expensive recovery operation that's partially conducted in secret. But everything ends up, you know, hunky-dory, right? At the end, the U.S. government, Mexican government, they're still you know, vibing with each other overall. And uh, the people of the area are not mutating or, you know, uh, dying of uh, crazy rates of cancer. So it seems like, okay, this should be uh, happily ever after, right? Yeah, unless we go back to Jaime Gonzalez, the, uh, the captain that we mentioned earlier, because there's a whole other story with regards to him. Yeah. Yep. You're absolutely right. So he is. So this guy has uh, some hustle to him as well. He's what I would define as a go-getter. So he gets together with two other local landowners in Gomez Palacio, and they get together with some of their friends and they say, wow, this is the most attention our part of Mexico has ever received. You know, we're getting a lot of press now, you guys. We're we're international. We're on the international sphere. And so, as we said, there's not a lot of people out here. Mm-hmm, there aren't a lot of people out here. We don't get a lot of visitors. So, you know what? What if we take this and run with it? This. What if we see how far we can stretch this 15 minutes of fame? Guys, why don't we build a hotel and then we'll start encouraging tourism? But we need a hook. We need a compelling reason to visit a place that most of Mexico and most of the world is ordinarily content to ignore. Here's where the story diverges. Couple couple different versions of what happens here, but they're all kind of similar. Yeah, so some people believe that it was Jaime himself that decided to embellish a bit, to play up this story and the importance of the region and, you know, the the locals' role in revealing not only this, you know, this missile and why this missile got here, but why it ended up crashing here. And, you know, then all of these other things that the sightings and other things that allegedly occurred inside this zone or in this area. Yeah, yeah. So he started making his own hero myth mm-hmm. is how, how this kind of goes, or that idea. And then there would be other people who say, well, it was a group effort. The landowners he had joined up with started embellishing the real story of the missile. And then they started adding pseudoscience. They started mixing it with local folklore. And then they started feeding the story out to regional media. This is a very common occurrence after an unusual or extraordinary event. That game of telephone begins, and soon the details of the original story over time get lost amid rumors of stuff like aliens, ghosts, and so on. Matt, when we were talking with your colleague Toby Ball about the um, the Bell UFO incident, uh, that's something he noted as well. This is, and and it's not necessarily something that is indicative of somebody being a con artist. Memory is just a treacherous endeavor. Well, and it's, I mean, you can look at it a lot of different ways. If you think about Roswell, New Mexico, and and how it thrives and is also chained to the tourism there caused by that crash. And I think there's something similar going on there, even to somewhere like Salem, Massachusetts, where an old thing occurred, but then what gets played up are kind of the larger myths around the actual historic events. And then that's what the tourism is based on. And then that's how much of the, you know, the local population there survives and thrives is through that tourism. I I think this is, this is really common actually. Yeah, I agree. So something like that happened, whether purposeful or whether unintentional, but at this point, my spy sense says that was purposeful. Like they knew this could be something big for the area. Whatever the case may be, local newspapers, and then later the national media in Mexico, picked up this bizarre story, and it continues today. You'll still hear people talking about it. According to the founders of the Zone of Silence, 
There are strange magnetic anomalies in the atmosphere that prevent radio transmissions in specific points and also make the needles on those compasses spin. And so they imply, you know, this missile fell because of that. And I guess the implication there would be that somehow planes were able to fly over the area safely later because they had some, they had been, I don't know, customized to be resistant to that, something of that effect, but they don't really go into that. They also say the magnetic waves are so unique, they create a vortex that draws in material from the upper atmosphere, and that's what sucked in the missile. Uh, uh, nice. And you can, you can read more about where this vortex is supposed to occur at the confluence of these three Mexican states and so on. But wait, as Billy Mays was wont to say, there's more, folks. You can imagine that as there's an influx of people who are functioning as tourists, they're there for the curiosity of the area, right? Everyone's gathering together, maybe at watering holes, eateries, whatever, wherever people gather, probably a bar. Uh, they share stories, right? And as stories are told, they get embellished a little bit, a little, you know, maybe... Maybe even an another story is somehow added to a different story and then things just grow and grow and grow. And you can imagine that through all this interaction, just human interaction, the legends became more and more bizarre, really. Um, we're talking about everything from cryptids to just weird, weird stuff going on with the plants and animals in the area in general. Because probably because it's associated with radiation in some way, because of this, the cobalt 57, there are rumors that somehow plants and animals have mutated, become very strange versions of them, and they're larger. They're like the, the plants and animals are larger. And then that may actually lead into these rumors that there are larger than normal humanoids that appear out there and then disappear for some reason. And if you imagine it this way, and it's more of telling stories in this game of telephone, you can imagine how these these legends are generated and then expand. Yeah, exactly. It only takes one person seeing one weird thing out there in the field to give what would appear to be sand to these stories. You also see irregularities cited about um, the appearance of specific animals. Like one example is uh, the tortoise shells of tortoises in the area are triang have triangular shapes on them, which is unusual. Or that human individuals themselves have been touched by something in the zone. They're growing larger over time, which is a little bit of an Innsmouth vibe, you know, for mm. Lovecraft fans out there, just without fish people. Spoiler for Lovecraft. Fewer hills, <laughs> more feet. As in <laughs> Yes. Yes, feet as in height. Yes. Or more feet. That would be interesting. That feels like a very inconvenient mutation. <laughs> Three per leg. That's just what we got now. Have you ever have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I wish I had more than just these two feet? Because I haven't. You know, actually, as no a drummer, oh. if I had two feet per leg that could move independently, I can imagine some ridiculous bass drum slash, you know, hi-hat action. I, you could do crazy stuff, I bet. I feel like that is a great point, and I have learned a lot about you. Even all these years later, I'm going to, I might, I, I'm going to try not to exaggerate this the way people might have exaggerated the zone of silence. But if I'm not on my P's and Q's, I could easily see me years from now telling one of our coworkers, like, yeah, dude, Matt's number one dream is to have more feet. I don't, I don't know why he said it. It's on record. Hey, are you uh, are you a surgeon out there getting into <laughs> experimental stuff? Right <laughs> to us. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so our normal uh, feet aside, I think between the three of us recording today, we're a total of six feet wise. That aside. There were other descriptions that hinged primarily on rocks and minerals. In the area. And that's really what people seem to be drawn to, the tourists especially. Because this, there is this purported vortex and meteorites over the course of history have hit this area, you can find strange rocks in the desert. 
But people will say some of these rocks vanish. And so these tourists who are known as Zoneros, Z-O-N-E-R-O-S, they come every year specifically to look for some of those marine fossils, uh, some artifacts, whatever they can find, or any curious looking rock, and they take them with them. There's also There are also rock shops in the region that sell geodes and, and this other kind of stuff for people who don't want to find them on their own. But how, how do these claims hold up? The answer is not very well. It's very easy to test whether or not a radio works in an area. Yeah, you, you can turn them on. That's um, right. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> this guy knows. This guy knows the process. All right. I tried it on. a couple times. But, you know, and use different ones from different decades. Because, uh, again, this has been since the 70s. I don't even, I don't even know what to say about it. The the radio communication, the weird stuff going on in the upper atmosphere, that's a little harder for a layperson to test. But I, I haven't seen any reporting where flights are restricted over this airspace. I, you know, again, when you search for a negative, it's very difficult. But um, yeah, I, 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 have, I have to admit, I haven't looked at flight paths over this area. Right. Yeah. But we know that of the multiple people who've gone there to investigate these kind of claims, they've almost all reported their radio communication works just fine. And when you get to the rumors of these mysterious larger people, there is a possible explanation. It's kind of a mundane explanation. It's a little humorous. For a long time, there was this one guy who worked at the field station of the reserve near you know, the silent zone. And he was a bigger dude. He was a big guy. And for most of the Zoneros, he was the only native they would see when they visited the site. And they would say, oh, wow, all these people are giants. But there are other people. It's rural, but there are other people in the area. And they're of average height for the region. And if you got this guy's you know, family members to stand next to him, you would see that he's, he's pretty tall for his family, too. So we're taking one person and we're making making an assumption you know uh also what about the tortoises well in the bolson tortoise populations those triangles are a normal pattern variant so they that they are real they do exist they do have those triangular shapes on their shells but they had those way before 1970 and and then the other thing additionally over time the actual location of the zone seemed to move, seemed to migrate. Uh, originally, it was the site of that missile crash. Then it moved north, as, uh, kind of following other people's reports or f- stories from a friend of a friend of a friend, reports of electronic malfunctions. But be that as it may, it is still very popular with tourists and fans of the paranormal. People visit this place from all over, sometimes alone, sometimes they pay local guides, or sometimes it's an excursion from a school. The tourism is not limited to people from Mexico. Uh, you'll also see people from the U.S., Germany, Uruguay, Chile, Italy, France, etc., etc. It's popular, and I'm going to argue I think that's what Gonzalez was going for. If you ask most of the locals today, they don't think there's much to the desert. I found a few reports of possible strange lights, but even the locals seemed kind of unimpressed with them. Uh, The people who live in the area will say, you know, we don't see a lot of strange things out in the desert, but we do see a lot of strange people. Just to be clear, they're referring to the tourist, but... They're down with the tourists because tourists bring income to this region. And so if you look at it from their perspective, you don't really have to believe that you live in a, a, a land-based version of the Bermuda Triangle. If you have a rock store and people are buying rocks, then let them believe what they want. They're still using real money. And so the story of the Zone of Silence continues on today. It is, it, it, there is a conspiracy afoot, we can argue, or there was a conspiracy afoot, but it was a conspiracy to bring tourism to a place that could definitely use extra income, which I, Matt, I don't see anything wrong with it. Do you? No, I, I really don't see anything wrong with it. Spinning tales and profiting off of those tales is 
I mean, there's an entire industry based on it. It's called entertainment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the entertainment industrial complex. The No. Yeah, that's pretty good. The entertainment right, industrial yeah. complex. Uh, yeah, but but they're doing it to directly benefit their town. Exactly. So, and they're not hurting anyone. You uh, know? Precisely. And, I mean, if you go to the Atlas Obscura website on this location, it's, uh, what is it called? Exploring Mex- Mexico's zone of silence where radio signals fail and meteorites crash. You can actually look at some of this area, the the actual zone of silence camp is the Palacios Ranch that I believe we mentioned in here earlier. Uh, you can see the road signs out there pointing to the Zona del Silencio. I mean, it's really interesting stuff, and it looks nice. It looks like a fun place to visit. If they're able to get some tourism dollars to this rural part of Mexico, then why the heck not? And imagine, even if there's nothing going on there, think about what looking up at the night sky would be like out there in this area. Amazing. Incredible. That's a very good point. Yeah. One other thing I want to add in here, Ben, uh, I think you read this article too. Our old pals over at How Stuff Works have yes. an article, and it is interesting. It is pretty scathing of the tourism that has occurred over there. It's uh, it's kind of, it's the article's kind of angry about it. Um, basically saying that we need that tourism is kind of ruining some of the research that is being done in this area, and it's an interesting point because if you Search on Google Maps for specifically the Zona del Silencio. You can see that there is a research station essentially right there on the map next to where the Zone of Silence shows up. And I'm I'm interested to know how much the tourism is actually affecting whatever you know research is being done in this area. Because I didn't I didn't see a lot of writing about that except for on the How Stuff Works website. Uh, and in a couple of things they cited. That's a really good point because we do need to mention one of the big concerns, especially for people who are opposed to this, is the potential for damage to the environment. And this this is where we leave the story today. But when we were working on this, we, we started thinking in terms of what else this could lead us to. And so uh, we'd like to hear your opinion. First, is it wrong to spin a tale, like Matt's saying, uh, an entertaining tale to get some tourist dollars? Obviously, we don't think so. They're not hurting anybody. The cobalt is long gone, uh, so people aren't being exposed to radiation. Uh, But then also, let us know what genuinely weird places are in your neck of the global woods. uh, You'd be surprised uh, how common Uh, regionally strange places are. Everything from haunted houses to uh, places that are seen as visitation sites for UFOs or places where things just disappear. Uh, We want to hear about them. We can't wait to hear from you. And your stories, your experiences, may inspire an episode in the future. So find us. Tell us all about this. Uh, We're easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. And on YouTube, Conspiracy Stuff again. And hey, uh, if you want to, it would be awesome if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the iHeartRadio app or Spotify, wherever you listen to this show. If you could review, just uh, let us know what you think and, you know, add some stars or thumbs up or whatever the... Whatever whatever the scale is that they use there, just let us know. We'd really appreciate it. It does help, help support the show. Uh, but if you don't want to use social media, you don't want to rate us, maybe you're not even listening to us right now, but somehow we're still in your heads, and you have the idea that you want to talk to us about something, you can give us a call. That's right. You can dial us directly from anywhere in the world. one stdwytk Three minutes. Those three minutes belong to you. You'll hear a brief intro message, and then the ship is yours to steer. 
Uh, Give yourself a cool name, cool nickname. Let us know if we can use your story and voice on air. Tell us what's on your mind. If there's anything um, private that you don't want on air that you just want to tell us, that's great too. Just leave that at the end of the message and try to get it all in one call. Uh, If you have a story that you feel like is longer, then by all means, do not censor yourself. Uh, You can write that out in full. We'll tell you how to get there in just a second. But I wanted to introduce one new thing to the outro. I saw some chatter about ads on our page, Here's Where It Gets Crazy, which is rated the best page on Facebook. And just wanted to let everybody know that when I saw that, I I texted you, Matt, and I think I said, f*** it, let's do an episode on McDonald's. Yeah. Wait, (laughs) are we actually going to do it? Yes, why not? Why not? I mean, we did an episode on Nestle. We're not the point is, you know, levity aside, we're we're never letting uh we're never letting a larger company or uh advertising clients uh stop us or stop you from covering stories and topics that are important. So you can always write to us. Our door is wide open. Uh, Go ahead and send us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last season, millions tuned into the Betrayal podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning, and now we're sharing an all-new story of betrayal. Justin Rutherford. Doctor, father, family man. It was the perfect cover to hide behind. Detective Weaver said, I'm sure you know why we're here. I was like, what in the world is going on? Listen to Betrayal starting on May 23rd on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.